Welcome to Veteran State of Mind. I'm your host, Garen Jones, and we have, as per SOP, great guests for you today. Before we move on to the guests, please don't skip ahead because it would not be possible to do this podcast without the help of Combat Fuel, help to do the podcast, they help me to get juicy gains. How? Because I take their pre-workout before every session. They've got a couple of different pre-workouts, actually. they got your regular pre-workout, which I now have two different flavors of. I've got the strawberry and lime, and i got the sour apple. And you know what? I might go a little bit crazy today. I haven't done this yet. I might go a little bit crazy today and do a half and half and see how that goes. Um, warning, if you take a scoop of this, make sure that you do have the time then to train. If you take a scoop, this happened to me the other day. It would take a, <laughs> it's funny, actually, because it happened because <laughs> I took a scoop and then the founder of Combat Fuel gave me a phone call. And I didn't tell him that I'd taken a scoop and we were on the phone and my face felt like it was going to explode. And it got to a point where I was like, mate, I'm going to have to go and, I'm going to have to go and train. And then I had a, a wicked session. Um, I've already had a good session today, thanks to the old Combat Fuel. Um, I'm using the salted caramel vegan protein. Highly recommend it, guys. Get it down you. There's links in the show notes. And if you use the code VSOM at checkout, then you'll get some money off. And then you can use that money to... I don't know, maybe buy a Zulu Alpha strap. Zulu Alpha straps. Bombers watch straps for Ali blokes. Been sponsoring the podcast for a long time. We really appreciate them. Veteran owned, veteran operated. Work with our American brethren on the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, the Sangin Instruments guys, they are... Um, you'll probably have seen them on social media. If you follow us on social media at Veterans Day at Mind, you will have seen me... Uh, posting the straps up there. I use them myself on my phones. Uh, on my phones, on my watches. You could probably use them on a phone. I haven't tried that yet. But um, guys, just highly, like when it comes to something like a watch, there's going to be two reasons that you're wearing it. You're either wearing it to impress people or you're wearing it for a, a, a functional reason. If you're wearing it for a functional reason, you're going to want something that is highly durable and is not going to let you down and snap, which has happened to me with straps before. And you're not going to want, if you're, if you're wearing one to show off, then you want something that's nice and flashy. Whichever reason you're wearing, you watch for. Zulu Alpha has got your back on both counts. So check them out at Zulu Alpha Straps on social media. Linked up in the show notes. All right, today's guest. He is from the Royal British Legion. And when I say he's from the Royal British Legion, I mean, this is the gentleman who made, really, this podcast possible by coming on board and um, helping us out with the costs and everything because as much as I would love to be able to be in the position to cover the cost of a podcast, I can't. Luckily, the Royal British Legion, they help us out and I'm massively appreciative of, to them. The only downside on this guy is that he was in the Household Cavalry Regiment. <laughs> and you know what? It's weird because um, if you've read my book, Brothers in Arms, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the Household Cavalry in there. But since then, obviously, I've come to know a few of them. And now I love them as I love every other single regiment. Um, so Alex Owen, today's guest, he was, a, um, he was a squadron commander in the Household Cavalry. He is a amateur historian, but a very good one, I will add, as a bit of a historian myself. Alex is definitely in the a couple of tiers above my kind of knowledge level. And um he's uh, he's now one of the uh, he's he's now involved with the Household Cavalry Regimental Museum, which I recommend you guys all go and check out if you're down in London. Um it should be uh, back up and running now. Uh, by the time this podcast goes up or it'll be out up and running this week um that's down in london they've got some amazing stuff down there including one of napoleon's eagles 
So I highly recommend that. I'm going to be checking out myself next time I go down to London. Um, and also Alex works for the Royal British Legion, as, as I mentioned. Um, really great dude. And it was an absolute pleasure to have him on today for a catch-up. So please give a very warm welcome to Mr. Alex Owen. Alex, a.k.a. Agro, a.k.a. Major History. Welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, guys. I've said thank you already, but now I want to say thank you on behalf of the troops listening because without you uh, approaching me in the first place um, in a dark, seedy alley, there would be no uh, Royal British Legion sponsorship of the podcast and it would be me in my cupboard uh, doing it rather than in the fancy studio with Peter. So thank you for that. I did think when you first came out of the blue, um, I thought it was more to do with the fact that um, with you being of the erstwhile household cavalry regiment i was like oh god it's they finally caught up to me after i've slandered them in brothers in arms but you very graciously uh, offered to sponsor the podcast which i can't help but think is the keep your enemies closer kind of <laughs> philosophy <laughs> i remember listening to the to the pod uh, on a run in edinburgh um and i thought oh this is such a great thing you know it's perfect for the troops they're all listening to this it's a really cathartic you know um experience for everyone that served because you get to kind of relive those memories, and you know that there's a community out there. And then obviously you go and start putting the axe into the household cover. I thought, oh, this is going to be an awkward conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've since changed my mind. Um, in fact, we have... Um... I have several several connections to the household cavalry now, so I've changed my mind on them. I even have some friends in the RAF regiment these days. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, friends. Friends is a bit of a strong term. Um, it's funny, though, because, you know, one of the things we talked about when we first met up was, was, I think it's fair to say that there was a bit of an image about the Legion and that it is a bit stuffy in some kind of ways and old-fashioned. And, and, I, and I like to think that, you know, you approach this because, well, I know you approach this one of these things because you want to reach the, the younger veterans, of which there are, mm. you know, Legion, um, which isn't a plug for my new book, although it is out now if you want to buy it, guys, Legion by Gary Jones. Um, and um, it was it was great. Like I was talking last night to uh, Joe, uh, a.k.a. the British Rogue, a.k.a. Joseph Stabbing, um, and you know my co my co host for Ransom Banson, and we worked out because I I sent him a photo from Afghanistan. He sent me one, and they were both time stamped, and they were within a day of each other. And and I just thought like, wow, do I, I I was just thinking like because we're different regiments, never would have known each other without this podcast. Probably, I think it's fair to say. Now he's a great mate of mine. We have loads of people listening every week. Um, but I do think, you know, this week I was talking to, we had uh, talking to Dave, was on his his podcast, the Reorg podcast. And um, we were t- we were talking about, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, because we, well, one of the things we were talking about, Dave, or Dave brought up on the Reorg podcast, shout out to those guys, check them out, was that, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, like Hugh Key is one over at um, our HR podcast, a lot of like junior NCO level guys making military pages on the internet, making podcasts, um, military owned companies that do stuff for charities. Um, you, you're yourself a gentleman, you know, you, um, but is, is that something is that is that something you see from the Legion? Is a lot of like junior ranks getting involved in not necessarily the traditional roles of charity, but you know these or because it's not really right to call a podcast a charity, but you know veteran, um, veteran. I don't know what you call it. Really. What would you what would you call these things? You're the expert. Uh, vet, veteran enterprises, isn't it? I think, Ooh, and it's like it's it's something the veteran community, the ex-serving community naturally do because they 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 have that get up and go, you know, they I think 
it's it's fair to say that when you have the uniform taken away from you you get the itchy feet you think you know what 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 am i contributing to community here um a nine to five job tends not to be the thing that does that and so they do set up all these these side projects these side hustles i mean a great example uh and i think we we know these guys um over at all call signs who are, you know a charity that, that um in my role at the legion i try and work closely with them uh, as much as possible and support them um however we can because clearly the legion's really well connected those guys are sort of setting up and doing great work so you know join the two and two together we're trying to solve the same problem um so let's come together and, and do that um and you know that's one example of of veteran enterprise really succeeding you know michael coates another podcast that's doing really well declassified um yeah love and actually you know there are loads of veteran businesses as well that are doing incredible things and um the plug for the legion but it's the um it's the legion's 100th birthday this year um and as part of my my job in sort of communicating the great work of the legion to the serving community i've been getting into my history about the legion and there are things that the charity have done since 1921 that have made my jaw drop and i think if we get it right and we tell people what they've done hopefully we'll make theirs drop too and one of the things that they have done is um is is supporting thousands and thousands and thousands of veterans into work into uh business um after the first and second world war and since um so it's very much in the dna of the of the charity to do that and support sort of veteran enterprises which is why you and or call signs and all of these these amazing um sort of uh small uh, organizations that are popping up because of that junior cohort that are that are getting the itchy feet and getting off their off their sofas or or or, or doing the things in the in the evenings around the nine to five um why we are so supportive of that really i want to come back onto a lot of what you just said but first of all I think we should go into a bit of your background, peel back some of the layers on this majestic (laughs) major history and learn a bit more about you because I think that will inform as well a lot of of what you then tell us later on. So one of the things I'm always interested to know is, 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 are soldiers, I do obviously believe you can breed soldiers in times of crisis, but I also think that you can be like some people are just born with it in their dna were you of of that kind of uh were you of that kind of uh spawn was i was i a um were you, were you born, te- te- <laughs> 10 year old lad in wellington boots and everything else was camouflage you, mm-hmm. you couldn't see me in a bush yeah i probably was um i i don't know actually though so i think we're 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 of a generation that both had a reasonably strong connection to the second world war because we had grandparents that that probably served. No, I had three grandparents that served uh, in in the Second World War. My grandmother was a wren. I had a grandfather that flew swordfish in the Royal Navy, uh, and another grandfather that was a coxswain on RAF um, SE rescue launch. Um, and so I had that connection to the military already, and it was sort of li- I, I sort of lionised them, and then added to that, you know, when we were at school, you know, a major thing happened. The Twin Towers happened, um, and and we were we were the generation that saw that happen and, and went right. I, I want to be part of this. The world has just changed and I want to be part of that journey. Um, and I think that's quite a rare thing in the last um, 50 odd years is that there's a whole generation that saw something happen on their TV screens and then took action because of it, joined up, went to wherever it might be, you know, per Bright Catterick, um, for me, Sandhurst, um, and then ended up fighting a, 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 in, in wars that resulted because of those few moments that we saw on our TV screens. Um and that's kind of that's kind of where I where I found myself, um, you know, in the same place as you in, in Afghanistan, in 
2009, 2010. Telling me to get my haircut. <laughs> so do you think then that the Twin Towers, because I, I, you know, for, for me, I was already um, in uniform at the time with the Twin Towers. You know, you could call me somewhat of an OG. Um, but, and, and obviously, like, for I know a lot of Americans who joined because, specifically because of 9-11. Has, has that been something that you've come across? Um, be, because, like, when you're in, say, the rank and file of an infantry regiment, like, I don't really think it's something that was, like, most of the lads were there, quite honestly, for a job, you know. But is that something that you came across in Sandhurst, the thing, that a lot of people were there that might not have been there had there not been, well, wars going on, basically, you know, without that, you know, that call to adventure? Yeah, I'm probably adding a bit of poetic license and saying that there was a higher cause. I think you're probably right. <laughs> I think, I think you know, you, know you, you wouldn't join the fire service if you didn't think you were going to be able to put out some fires. And I think this was one of those rare moments where people saw that there was a conflict, there was a scrap to get involved in. So if you already had a bent to towards soldiering, then you know this was the moment. This was this was the generation where you actually got to do the job. You know, um, bless them. The, the the sort of the Cold War warriors, while while they you know they they were back to back tours of Northern Ireland and and stuff like that, but they didn't have the and I use this term very lightly, the sort of glamour, I suppose, I suppose it was, of, of, of yeah. Afghanistan. We, we saw it in the sun every other day, didn't we? Um, and th- th- I think there was definitely, that was that was part of the reason that that so many of us probably joined up when we did. Um, and, and, and there were also, you know, there were, there were instances where there were officers choosing which regiment they went to because it was this, that was the first opportunity for them to be able to deploy. They knew what the, what the, the tour rotation was. Right. Uh, and I think that was the same for the lads as well. Yeah. Um, so is it fair to say then, do you, do you think you would have joined the military without 9-11? Yeah, I mean, I actually watched the Twin Towers go down um, from the Commando Training Centre Limpston. I was doing my potential officers yeah. course, age 16. Um, and I, I remember watching it in the officers' mess as the uh, as, as the Twin Towers came down. My, my discussion group that I was supposed to be doing, talking about stuff I'd read in the broadsheets, was cancelled. And, and we ended we watched the second plane go in. Um, so that, I, I you know, really iconic moment for me it's a bizarre one isn't it because it's one of those things you remember seeing but you think it's just especially now that there's you know 20 years dist- dist- distance on it, it it does it does seem like a, a kind of dream of of sorts and obviously so much of or almost everything really that's happened in your life since then has been a result of that you know incidents i think you know um, the, probably the major um events in your life we we have um, I know we have young listeners, some of whom want to be officers, some of whom are probably, you know, at that stage that you're talking about with going down to Limston and all that kind of thing. What's something that you could tell people that, you know, something that you learned from that time about how to get through those courses and not, but not just, not just how to get through them, but really kind of, um, um, really, really set, set yourself up well for success, uh, with it being either RCB or, you know, the, um, any of those selection courses. Um, prepare you know there's that old adage of um prior preparation and planning prevents piss poor performance um there are things that you can do to prepare for it equally there are things that you probably can't do to to prepare for it so um you know you'll know most most of these processes are are pretty good at weeding out um the, the wheat from the chaff um fairly early on but if you get through to those final phases where you you know you've got a decent chance, then just prepare, prepare, prepare. Um, you know my my main falling, uh, especially as a cavalry officer, I wasn't particularly great at, um, at maths. 
have to take my shoes and socks off to count. Um, so I knew that was my failing. So I relearned my times tables while I was doing my finals at university. I knew that that was the area that I'd fall down on and it paid dividends um, when I went to Army Officer Selection Board. Um, the other thing is just you know, show an interest in, uh, in the world because that's, that's the world that you're going to be uh, sent out into to, 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 do, to do things in the name of um, Her Majesty and, and the Crown and, and, and the country. So you better get your head into the broadsheets. You better be reading The Economist in the week. Um, you better have an opinion on stuff. Uh, you can't just cruise through life watching Netflix um, if you, if you want to be involved and be an actor in, in current events. Um, you need to know what, what's actually happening around the world and, and show an interest. Um, and then I suppose... There is that sort of uh, there, there is that kind of inherent leadership thing, which is, is perhaps the stuff that you can't prepare for. Um, but what you can do is, while you're at school, put yourselves in put yourself in a position where you have to step up and, and do some leading, whether it be on the sports pitch, whether it be in extracurriculars, where you know you have to go and lead something on an expedition. The, you know, the late Duke of Edinburgh set up that amazing program. Get yourself on Duke of Edinburgh. Be be the leader. Get get the map. Um, uh, and put your put yourself in positions that challenge you, so that by the time you get to, uh, you know, the the selection phase, or indeed to officer training itself, you, it's not the first time you've been in an uncomfortable situation where a lot of other men and women have been looking to you uh, to set the example. Yeah, I don't know if it's just as this is a case of me being out of touch or what, but I feel like um, our kind of age group, I feel like there was a lot of leadership opportunities around for us to develop at that age. When I look back on it now with sports teams, Duke of Edinburgh, cadets, all those kind of things going on, I assume all that is, is still available to people. I mean, I hope so. I, yeah. I, mean, I, feel, I feel massively sorry for, for, for the guys yeah. who've been affected by the, by the pandemic. Cause clearly a lot of that hasn't been on offer. Um, and I, I don't have the answer for you guys. Cause I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, not, not walking in your shoes at the moment. Um, but um, I hope that things will come right soon and, and you'll be able to throw yourselves into life again. Um, yeah, and, and I'm sure that there have been incredibly challenging moments during the pandemic where you've had to show leadership that you'll be able to use examples and draw from as well. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely, mate. Um, what's something that took you by surprise um, at RCB and then also during the uh, during your time at Sandhurst? You, you can't hide from human nature, I think. Uh, you know, they're, they're, that, that, that's the whole point of these things, right? It's It's... And it's the same for for um, everyone else going through for any military training. Really, is they they are trying to strip away the layers of civility and just get down to the raw nuts and bolts of you as a human and work out if you've got the right stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think there are moments where you are tired and you haven't slept for three days because you've been digging a trench and you're wet and you're cold and you're hungry. Um, where they will test you and it, and and the best possible thing you can do really is just make sure you look after the others around you. Uh, if you're doing that, you, you can't go far wrong. And I think um, there were there were people that got shown up uh, at Sandhurst, and there were there were people that were brilliant at it. Um, and I suppose the other one is the the lengths, the extent that the human body can go to, and that's not just obviously at Sandhurst; that's in Afghan as well. Mm. But the human body is a very robust piece of kit, um, and I think you know through all of that training that you you get put through, you really realise that. Um, Looking back on it now, in my mid thirties, I, I I wince thinking about some of the things they made us do. <laughs> Mate, I was just complaining to Peter before we started recording about my knees. <laughs> I, I, was like, I did I did some knees to chest earlier now, and I feel like now I'm, I'm hobbled. But no, I I totally agree with you. And one of the things I'd add as well, from the point of view of looking at looking after the people around you, is 
it's also selfishly a great thing to do too. Even if you don't give a fuck about those other people around you, it will give you something to focus on other than your own misery. So not only do you look good, but you'll actually feel better because you'll be kept busy and doing stuff for other people. And, and you will feel good from doing it. But even if you were the jackest bastard on the planet, it's still, you know, it, it, it's still a, a great thing to do. When you're just concentrating on yourself and your mm. own misery and whimpering whimpering into your gas yeah. mask <laughs> during a tab, like that's that's the time where, you know, where things really suck. Before we get too far ahead into the army stuff, because it's, I do think um, I was in, I'm always interested to, as well with people who have a love of history how much of a like how much of that of of like how much of did did um, military history play a part in coloring your perceptions of what the military would be and how did that differ when you did get to Sanders and then when you did get to oh hugely yeah I mean um, I'm probably going to turn a few of your listeners off now because I'm going to admit that I used to be a choir boy um, but I was a I was a choir sorry of... they might might be into that they might be into that sort of thing we yeah. have a few pervs here. <laughs> Um, I was, I, I, my parents sent me to a number of strange schools that institutionalized me, uh, to the, to the point of no return. So I, I was actually a chorister at St. Paul's Cathedral. So that meant that every single day I walked past the tombs of, uh, of, of um, of Wellington and Nelson to the, to the choir practice room, which, which that's, that's dope. Yeah, it was quite cool. Um, so that was kind of my, you know, seven, seven to 13 before my balls had dropped, <laughs> uh, you know, w- walking past those. And then I went to a school where we used to wear Tudor uniforms and march into lunch. And we had a, a school marching band. <laughs> yeah. 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 Christ Hostel, look it up. Shout out. You to English, are you English? You're mad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I did archaeology at Durham University. So I was I was by that point hooked in the past. Um and so when I, I, I did get into the, I referenced the Royal Marines earlier, I did get into the Royal Marines when I was 16. My, my um, uncle was a, a military cross winner from the Falklands. He won a, a military wow. cross um, leading his company uh, up Mount Harriet. Um, and he, 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 I remember watching him on a BBC documentary where he said, um, yes, well, the Argentines kept on popping up behind those rocks. And we just kept slotting the buggers. Um, he was a bit of a character in my life. And uh, I said, so that sort of went, went for the Royal Marines route. And then obviously I went to university Got a, got a bit fat, got a bit lazy, drank too much, and then thought, actually, Royal Marines does feel like a lot of hard work now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I went, I, went, I went back to the drawing board, looked at the army, and, and then the history bit kicked in. And, and who is the senior regiment you know, in the army? Who've, who've got the longest history? Um, Household Cavalry. They're the ones that do the fancy dress, yeah? They, they, they do a bit of state <laughs> ceremony and public duties, guess, if they do, but they're also, first and foremost, fighting soldiers. Yeah, fancy, fancy dress. No, it's <laughs> uh, to be honest, mate. It's like because I love, like as much as I love to bash the guards and stuff. When he, when you look at, you know, especially the Napoleonic era, like the cavalry does seem pretty cool. From you know those th- that that kind of era. I saw something the other day. You probably know. You'd probably know the piece I'm talking about. It was um, is it was is it called, it was called a cuirass? Cuirass. Is yeah. it like? And and it had um and it was a young I think it was an ensign who had who who'd worn it and it was it had a perfect cannonball. hole where a cannonball yeah. had gone straight through it. That was a French cuirass, yeah. Uh, and they would so that if anyone knows their Waterloo history, then there are a few great moments of Waterloo. The that was that was the massed French cavalry charge that came towards the, towards the end of the day. And yeah, I think it was like Mercer's Royal Artillery Battery up on the ridge sent that through through one of the French cavalry as he was charging up. Yeah, straight through and through, but the size of your head. Um, yeah. yeah, and they've got that preserved. But the, but the, but the House of Cavalry was at, uh, was at Waterloo, um, all of its regiments. So, so um, first and second lifeguards, 
the Royal Horse Guards, now known as the Blues, um, and then the First Royal Dragoons or the Royals, which are now the Royals. So the Blues and Royals are together. And it was it was uh, in the main heavy cavalry charge um, at the sort of mid- midday. It was about two o'clock in the afternoon that that happened. And it was absolutely epic. And most of you guys will know that famous painting of the Scots Greys charging at Waterloo. Those horses going for it with the Scots on, on them. Well, during that charge... The House of Cavalry were also involved, and we managed to the Royals managed to capture one of the eagles, uh, the the hundred and fifth French Napoleonic eagle. Uh, during that charge, they basically put an entire um, a, entire division to to, to slaughter um, uh, on, on the um, on the sort of soggy clay cornfields of Waterloo. Um, and the eagle, that eagle that we captured, is in the National Army Museum today. Um, but this summer, I'm very excited to announce, um, we're going to be bringing it to the Household Cavalry Museum on Horse Guards Parade. So if any of you guys are into your Waterloo history, um, I also happen to be a director of the, of the Household Cavalry Museum, my old regimental museum. Um, so we're going to be uniting the eagle with um, the medal of, of the guy that actually won it. And that medal, um, who uh, it, the guy who was called Sergeant um, Francis Stiles, and he he's the one that captured that eagle, um, but he died in 1828, so quite young, um, just after Waterloo. That that medal went missing, and it was discovered last year by one of our NCOs in America on eBay. What? Um, yeah, exactly. So we and the the regiment pulled their money together, bought the medal, and we're going to reunite the medal of the man with the eagle that he that he captured this summer when we reopen the museum um after covid and, and and honestly guys do check out the museum's social media page i know it's a bit of a shout out but um all music all military museums are suffering at the moment because of covid so all all of your your military museums do need your help so any support you can give please do give it because it's they are the guys that are sort of preserving our our heritage and, and our moral component i love military museums let's go on a bit of a military museum tangent um while you mentioned our friends national army museum who for people who aren't familiar maybe the new listeners they don't know before covid we did a uh, a veteran state of my life at the national army museum um shout out to those guys they put it all on um and we're definitely planning on doing some more of those as well so uh, we don't have any plans at the moment because what really what's been the point in planning things at the moment things just keep getting cancelled but we we will definitely do some more of those um but i love that museum one of my favorite pieces in there which i have to admit is cavalry related is the order for the charge of the light brigade you know they have that in there yeah which is just it's just nuts it's the you know like i was saying earlier but when i look at i think back on that memory of the twin towers some things in life you know are real but just don't feel real. And when you're looking at this order that was for the charge of the light brigade and it's there in front of you and you're like, I know what this is, I know what this was part of, but I can't get it into my yeah. monkey monkey head that what I'm actually seeing. And what, and what that went on to do in the place that it, it now takes in like our national story. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Like it's, it, it's 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 bonkers, um, and I, I but I enjoy that. And if you've got kids as well, I think it's a good it's a good um, it's a kid friendly museum. I would say the National Armour Museum. Um, but I do I I I um, I'm a big fan of local museums, small museums, because quite often you'll find like well one, and this is I mean I know this is a bad thing, but they are always quiet, and I don't like people, so that's great <laughs> for me. Uh, but like but the, the the reason that's a great thing is quite often. The person that's working there who knows everything, you can literally just get, you can just ask that person anything and they will be almost like a private tour guide. It's, um, yeah. but like there's, there's one I know, um, so I know with the Royal Welsh one in Carnarvon, I know they've got some great stuff there. The one, there's a, a Cheshire's one in Chester for anyone around that area. 
Um, and they're really accessible. They're great. And I, I think they're a great place to take your kids. So, yeah, we def- definitely... Um, it, and, and if it's maybe just... I think a lot. I think a lot of them as well. The admission's pretty much nothing. Just give them a tenner. Yeah. Just give it like just help. Just help 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 them take over. There's a cracking little one down at uh, my my home. Home is down in North Cornwall, and there's a cracking little one on an old airfield near Davidstow or Bodmin Moor, and um, it's basically just completely run by volunteers. And you know, all the collections are just people have just given them when they've died in the local community and stuff. And there's one room in this, uh, and they're old old Nissan huts and stuff. There's one one Nissan hut that's just full of creepy mannequins wearing different forms of mess kit and stuff and you go in there and it is like a scene out of silence of the lambs you think buffalo bill's going to pop out in a minute but just bless them it's just they're brilliant and they do they are little hidden gems around the country that definitely need our help so what you're saying is take some magic mushrooms go and hang out (laughs) (laughs) go and hang out in there um no those are awesome And, and um like if anyone knows of any around the the country that you want to shout out or anything, get in touch with us on social media because um and I, I'll, I'll give another shout out to the tank museum as well. I can't believe I'm doing all these tank shout outs. Those buggers today. don't they don't need a yeah. shout out. They're doing yeah. really well. Well, I'm shouting out their bookstore because their bookstore is their bookstore is fantastic. <laughs> no, no, well they haven't actually, so they can fuck off. Um, but they have, a, but they've got loads of military books on there for like two ninety nine. Yeah. Um, I keep saying this. I bought like four. I bought forty books the other week. I had to redo my shelves this week. But um, they're 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 well worth check. Well worth checking out. But I mean, and it, it's it's something as well that these things. If you're looking to get gifts for people, if you're looking to get, you know, if you're looking to buy little bits and pieces for, um, you know, for Remembrance Day, you know, you usually get drunk and lose your regimental tie, so you got to get another one next year. Go get them from the regimental museums and stuff, rather than going on because you can obviously get them through Amazon and stuff these days because yeah. they have everything on there. So yeah, do do that to support them. Sticking on the history thing for a bit, um, I think that Waterloo would be, if you could be in a bubble and watch a battle, Waterloo might be one of the the, the moments in history to, to watch. Is that one of the ones you'd go for? And what are a few other battles that you would love to have been a fly on the wall for? A hundred percent, yeah. I mean, Waterloo's got everything because you've got... It opens with the with the hand to hand fighting through woods and hedges and buildings over at Hugamore Farm. So you got your you got your your fighting built up areas going on there, guards doing their thing. And there's I mean that's a mini battle in a battle anyway. You've got uh, the main infantry assault on the right hand side, which then gets repulsed by the big heavy cavalry charge. So that's got everything. Um, you've then got the uh, French cavalry charge which is insane. You've got the, you've got the squares forming. Um, and then you've got the final like grand climax of the old guard getting mobilized. So, you know, the old mm. grumblers um, who have got their earrings and massive mustaches and stuff coming up the hill. Legends. It's got a bit of it. They look like pirates. Um, and then of course the Prussians coming in on the flank, which is just the big sort of the big twist at the end. Um, so yeah, def- definitely Waterloo. Um, you know, charge light brigade be amazing. Um, Badahoff would be, pretty mm. gritty i think you just want to you want to be there for the all the raping and pillaging afterwards uh well yeah <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what though i'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a navy nerd as well so i quite like i'd quite like to sort of you know trafalgar or something like that would be pretty cool mm. i mean and, and obviously we understand that these were real people dying there so we're not being flippant about it but at the same time i'm gonna be i'm lying if i said i wouldn't want to see it fucking right i want to see mm. it like the idea of seeing a lot like the uh, the red line of British troops with the colours flying and bagpipes playing and everything. Fuck yeah, That'd be epic. I just think as well as a as you know for us having experienced soldiering, 
in our nice kind of high tech <laughs> uh, shirts and like, and we complained about the kit when we were out there. Yeah. Every generation of soldiers has complained about the kit, but those guys had a real reason to. They used to get issued a pair of boots that were one size fits both feet, so they had to they'd have to swap their boots over every other day so the the soles wore evenly. They were wearing uh, uh, haversacks that were basically just leather straps that would bite into them. They had cloak they had coats on that were just serge wool, really thick for any season, like the guys wear on parade today. To be fair, um, and then of course they spend their fighting day biting cartridges open with their teeth and and getting powder burns on their cheek, and then obviously going in with button bayonet i mean it would have been pretty pretty gritty they would be they would be horrible bastards to be quite honest i wouldn't want to hang yeah. out with them and what they what they fed on as well because it's you know it's not nothing like what we had we complained about the rations yeah but... I, I remember i was out in india doing a security job and i was sitting there reading sharps tiger and i was there in my little skimpy shorts just sweating like oh my god i'm so uncomfortable and i'm reading about sharp in his like you know the tunics and everything and yeah. it's, it's it's unbelievable but one of the things that surprises me when you see like um, when you see the uniforms of a lot of these guys is how tiny they were. And it obviously makes sense because like you said, they were fed on crap. Yeah. Um, they marched, marched everywhere, you know, and were, were, you know, they were not well nourished or, or a lot of them had obviously grown up poor. And, and that makes a, a huge difference to what your physique is like. And then they carry out these feats of storming Badahoff or something. It's Or, or manhandling a, a, a massive ship's cannon up a cliff. Yeah. yeah. That sort of stuff as well that you hear about. So on that, I got I had a tour of HMS Victory from um, the cat. One of one of the perks of the job was we went down to meet the the captain of HMS Victory, and he he was very kind and gave us a tour of the of the ship, which again for me was, you know, I was I was in danger of being very aroused. <laughs> and uh, he he was telling us about the carpenter on Victory, you know, during Trafalgar. This guy was nearly seven foot tall, Whoa. and he lived and worked in a space that was about you know four and a half foot high. Hi. Um, yeah, exactly. But he 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 had a really interesting um, thing to say about this. So, so apparently, we all think that everyone was was a short ass. I think yes, they were if they were pretty malnourished. And they they grew up in the slums and stuff. But generally speaking, people were getting close to how how tall we are today. Um, and he basically he went on to say that um, it was it was only until the it was the first world war basically that thinned out all the tall all the tall chaps because it, it tended to be the more athletic taller blokes that signed up in the first waves and were the ones that got gunned down in the first waves at the Somme and stuff. Mm. And therefore it's sort of, it's taken us a few generations to get back to that. Whereas the Dutch who were neutral in the first world war, famous for being tall, aren't they? That's really interesting. I'm fit. They're fucking fit. <laughs> My wife's half Dutch. So I'll take that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, cause I, I, I always do find it fascinating when they, um, you know, they have these documentaries when they, like, exude... Well, and I, I'm always a bit iffy about exhuming people, though, because it's kind of like people have been laid to rest, and then you're like, right, we're going to dig you out for our documentary, you guns. <laughs> out you come. Um, uh, but, like, so, yeah, like, a lot of them, it is surprising how big some of them are. And um, I think there was probably a... The Industrial Revolution time was probably when there was a dip in people's, you know, in in in, in physique and stuff because people were just growing up in horrible, yeah, horrible slums. R- rickets. Yeah. And, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Um so the um the, that that kind of era of history then is obviously one that kind of speaks to you is do you think that because i i still feel that it's i mean we're talking hundreds of years like a couple of hundred years ago now for events like waterloo it's really kind of crazy to me like how we are not and not in a bad way how strong of a tie we still mm. have as a british army to those to those events i can't like off off the top of my head i'm not sure if there's anyone else that really does that as as a as a nation and as a military so so as 
as an example of that, the um, the eagle I was talking about earlier, the the, the one hundred five eagle, which which um, is coming to the to the to the Hassel Cavalry Museum, that is worn on the sleeves of every Blue and Royal soldier right. um, that you will see. So if you look, if you see the guys on ceremonial duty, you look at look at their their um, left sleeve, and you'll see a small a small badge, a small gold badge, which is the one hundred five eagle. And you know the the the, the, the Scots Scots Dragoon Guards wear it on their cap badge. Right. But it's such an important part of our heritage that you know we call it our eagle it's like we stole it not people 200 and something years ago and um if you go into the forge at the house of Curry mounted regiment the, the guys there wear vest tops when they're because it's bloody hot by the forge working out and hammering iron um and you will see that you know all the blues and rolls in there almost without exception will have a massive tattoo of the 105 eagle on their arm um and and, and indeed i now have the 105 eagle tattooed on my thigh as well not i couldn't i couldn't couldn't get away with the arm i think my mother would be too <laughs> too upset but <laughs> but that's how important it is people get it inked on their skin indelibly it's only just occurred to me the other day but occurred it has and um one of the things i was thinking about is because one of the the, the great strengths of the british army is that you are grown up there's not a single regiment that hasn't got apart from the raf regiment there's not a single regiment who hasn't got an amazing pedigree of battles like waterloo you know yeah and you get brought up on that, and then it's like, you know, your regiment was at Gallipoli, your regiment was, at, you know, the Battle of the Bulge, your regiment was at Normandy, all, or you, you know, some regiments were at the Falklands, and you get fed all, all this. And then it's like, okay, now we want you to go and do a peacekeeping mission. Mm. And I think that is one of the reasons why we maybe haven't done a great job on peacekeeping in Iraq and Afghanistan, because quite naturally, you get lot young lads you feed them full of Waterloo, that to them then is, right, well, that's, that's what we fucking do. We're the lads that were at Rourke's Drift and Waterloo. And then, so when it's like, hey, guys, the best thing that can happen on this tour is we don't fire a shot. You're like, uh, no, mate, we were at Waterloo. That's not how we do things. Um, and I and I think there's something that's maybe been lo- o- overlooked. Oh, like your thoughts, please. I don't know, it's an interesting one, because I'd almost say that those peacekeeping missions, you know, Afghan in particular, is going to, it's going to be treated in the same way by future generations. I, I would be very surprised if Sangin isn't treated with the same reverence as Waterloo by the rifles in a few generations' yeah. time. But I, I, get, I get that. But what I kind of mean is, uh, so I, I'm sorry, I probably didn't explain it, explain it well. If you want, like, so if the mission is, if the, if the mission is, right, we want to go in here and be softly, softly, and nobody fire a shot, it might not be the best thing to, like, have guys weaned on Waterloo mm. and Goose Green and, and all this stuff because... You, you feel like your job is to put rounds down, if you know what I mean. Like, let's be honest, there's no fucking bloke that wants to go on a tour to Afghan Iraq and come back without putting rounds down. Yeah, that's fair. So I almost feel like there's, if we're good at, we need to keep, like, because that's, that to me, that's the stuff that you need to feed warfighters. But maybe then we need to have a separate thing that you feed peacekeepers. Well, I think, I don't think it's... I don't think that that, that that bringing them up on on Waterloo and Badahoff and and Crimea and all that sort of stuff is necessarily saying we want you to go and fix bare nets every single time. What it does is is foster a sense of pride in the unit, which allows the team to work better together. It doesn't have to be working together to to, to close with and kill the Queen's enemies. It could be that it, they're working together to create a safe environment that you know civility and security can can happen in a in an afghan village um as long as that bond between the men is there and they feel like we are one because we are all men 
that are descended from men that have that battle on. Alright guys, just a very short intermission. I want to say a big thank you to The Escape Games for sponsoring today's podcast. If you haven't heard us talk about them already, essentially, what The Escape Games is, think about orienteering on steroids, and then, once you've got that big muscular orienteering thing going on, you are getting chased by a hunter force. So, we have a lot of people listening. I know you guys do 10Ks, you guys do Tough Mothers, you guys do all kinds of competitions like that. Escape Games is on the hardcore end of the spectrum. It ain't for your gran, but it is for you, right? If you are into the outdoors, if you are into pushing yourself physically, if you are into pushing yourself mentally, then the Escape Games and Escape the Lake is for you. What reason why? Because you get together, you go up to one of the most beautiful areas in the UK. Um, They have games taking place over the next year in various different locations, but they are all in areas of outstanding natural beauty. But you're not really going to be having much time to take that in and appreciate it because you're going to be hanging out your ass with a hunter force on the back of you, um, which is made up of professional and highly trained athletes, veterans, military personnel. So you're going to be up against it. Um, There's prizes to be won, but I think the main thing here is that it's just an experience to have. Get your adrenaline going a bit. A lot of people I know, once you get out of the military, you don't know how to get your adrenaline going again. And you don't know how to get the competitive spirit going. Um, I really believe that when we leave the military, one of the things that we really miss without probably even knowing it is is that competition, you know, like that love of competition. Um, and I think that, you know, winning and, and, and that endeavor to win is something that is inherent in all of us. And if you, if you are not stoking that fire, then... I think it's, it's. I think honestly, it's one of the things that leads to us being miserable, or the potential to be miserable when you get out of the military, when you get competition going, when you get goals set, and when you smash those goals, that is when you are feeling the best. So check out Escape the uh, Escape the Lakes. Uh, link down in the show notes. Go and tag them through. They're on social media. I'll uh, share the posts on there. Um, go and support them, guys, and and check it out. They have limited number of places available. Uh, first come, first served. But uh, get on there, check them out, and I'm sure you will not regret it. All right, thanks for listening. Let's get back to the podcast. Let's talk more about the Household Cavalry, because um, I don't really know much about them, to be quite honest. Um, and I'd actually like to know some more, because it sounds like, is there more than one, like, how does, is there more than one unit in the Household Cavalry? Well, so Household Cavalry, is it division or what? Like, how does, how does it work? Yeah, we've got two, two service regiments. So we've got um, the Household Cavalry Regiment, which is, uh, armored cavalry so they're they're about to get re-rolled onto the new uh ajax sort of medium armor reconnaissance vehicles and we've got the household cavalry mounted regiment who are state ceremonial and public duties there are two two squadrons that do that so lifeguard squadron and a blues and rolls squadron so the the slightly confusing thing with the household cavalry is that you've got two regiments that do two roles but within both those regiments You've got two other regiments by name, the Lifeguards and the Blues and Rolls, which are the historic regiments from which the House of Cavalry was born. And, and but those Ajax, they like a new scimitar or that kind of thing, are they? Yeah, exactly. Right, okay. yeah. So you do would you do a bit of time in them and then you go and do a posting in the other one? or how, how, so? Yeah, so normally uh, the way it worked when I was in, I can't speak necessarily for the, for the regiment now, but it used to be that the officers would go to the service regiment first, they'd go do the operational stuff first, get a tour under their belt, and then they'd go to, to Knightsbridge, to the, to the mounted regiment. The, for the for the lads and lasses as it is now um 
they normally go to riding school first so they'll they'll do their their basic training phase one and then they'll go to they'll go to riding school which is quite a bloody hard course actually i'm not gonna lie yeah (laughs) Um, i I did it i did it from scratch having never ridden before and i had blisters on my ass um so they'll do that they'll pass out they'll do probably 18 months or so as a mounted duty man in london which is again half hard hard graph i mean you're looking at uh, when you're not very good at cleaning the kit it's about 20 hours a day of 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 obviously you get up at sort of five five something in the morning down the stables for six mucking out grooming your horse tacking up you're then riding from um seven till eight through the streets of london to exercise the horse breakfast for the horse breakfast for you down the yard again yard work until lunchtime if you're lucky at lunchtime your couple of horse will knock you off so that you can go and start on your kit for the following day that's about an hour of grooming again four hours on the on the tack for the horse of polishing brass work all that sort of stuff. Um, then you're going to your upstairs kit, which is your boots, your gauntlets, your cuirasses, your helmet, your sword. That could be another two hours. Boots alone could take six hours if they're not very good. Um, so you're getting to bed quite late and getting up bloody early most days. Um, but it does make a very fine soldier. So by the time they get to Afghan or to on operational tours, they know how to look after kit. They know how to look after themselves. They have that attention to detail. And they're a bit more grown up, I think, as well, because they've, they've had their youngest soldiering years in london where they've had to look after their own finances amid all of the bright sights and things that come their way that's a great point that's a very great point um do you get the same horse all the way through it normally there are more horses than there are men so you get right. uh one bloke would probably look after about three horses it must be um it must be quite hard to leave those horses behind after spending so much time with them i think that would depend on who you ask so, so <laughs> some are more equine minded than others i think some can't wait to see the back of them to be quite frank really were you one of those people, Agro? No, I loved it. I, I did. I really enjoyed it. And I, I had a couple of horses that I um, I sort of had as my notional, um, my favourites. Uh, um, and I, I do miss them. And, 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 you know, when I was there, as a, I was there, as I left, my last post was a squadron leader of the Blues and Raw Squadron. And, uh, you know, by the time I left the army, I had a, a little boy, Archie, um, who was only months old. And, you know, he, you know, he used to, recognized the horses and the horse recognized him by the time we left and that was quite a nice little bond and stuff i do i do definitely miss the horses um it was something completely that i never thought i'd ever do to be honest in my life um, and if and if i if 10 year old me could think in a few years time you're going to be on a horse with a sword in your hand riding in front of the queen i just think nah it's not gonna happen so tell us some more about that then because that's not something that's an everyday occurrence is it so let's let's have let's have some troop in the color dits um well I was very lucky. So my my role as a squadron leader on a big parade was um, field um, field officer commanding the sovereign's escort is the official title, which means that where the queen goes, I'm in command of the escort that that takes her there. So uh, for the troop in the colour, um, we call it Queen's Birthday Parade, troop in the colour in common parlance. I would basically ride in to Buckingham Palace, so through the courtyard, through the archway, into the inner courtyard to go and pick Her Majesty up in her carriage and then it was it would me be me riding on the back wheel out through the arches again the rest of the the regiment pick her up and then the carriage is in the middle two divisions in front two divisions behind and then i ride on that back wheel basically as her sort of mounted bodyguard all the way down to horse guards parade when i then take over the regiment um and the king's troop um and then i'm in sort of charge of the, the mounted element of the parade for the rest of the parade so when we then do the walk and trot past that's basically on my on my command um, which was pretty good, but I had no voice by the end of that, as you can imagine, having to shout across however many thousand people on parade. 
How much element of shitting yourself is there when you're doing a parade like that? I don't know. You know, it's a bit. It's it. You you know, like anything in the middle. You military, zoned you in. Just re- you re- yeah, you rehearse, you rehearse, you rehearse until you're until you're completely comfortable with what you're doing. You're almost doing it second nature. Is it is there is it, is there something about it? Is when you're doing something that's like like that, that's a world stage event, right? You know, that's a world stage event. You know, you've got all these eyes on you. But I is it something that you understand in the moment? Like, wow, this is a, such a big thing. Or is it something like, you know, you're so you're focused in and then you finish it and then you're like, then it, the enormity of it kind of hits you. And, and that's when you kind of like, wow, that was massive. Yeah, I think I think the latter. Um, there's a moment or there's a bit of there's a bit of it in the morning, I guess, you know. We used to we used to have a changing room downstairs below below the mess. Um, and I don't know. I think the boys kind of did the same thing as well. We'd always have a big speaker that would be playing something pretty epic, you know, Gladiator soundtrack, that sort of thing. Oh, and you nice. can imagine the guy, the guys are down there getting in the zone, knowing that they're about to show themselves or potentially show their asses in front of however a million viewers on TV. And you, you've got that scene with the Gladiator battle soundtrack playing where the guys are strapping on their caresses and putting their hands into their gauntlets and all that sort of stuff. And there is a bit of a, you know, five pence, 50 pence, uh, you know, twitchy bum moment going on there for sure. Um, and what was quite nice was the the Queen's um, former equerry, uh, Major Nana Tumuziankra, he was he was a predecessor of mine as squadron leader. And every single time that I was going on parade and he knew that I was going to be on parade because he was Queen's equerry, he would send me a little message saying good luck today. Uh, and that was a really nice touch. And it just kind of, you know, made your shoulder, shoulders sort of go back and you thought, yeah, we got this. We're, 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 we're riding in, in a, a well-trodden path and following some decent footprints there. So how gutted are you that you've never been part of a massive cavalry charge with swords? Well, I kind of have, not in not in anger, of course, but I did make my Mace Squadron do one in Norfolk once. Really? We, uh, yeah, we went out on a on a st- well, two two times we did. We went out on a stubble field in in Norfolk, um, uh, arranged ourselves in one big big long line, and um, yeah, went from walk to trot to canter Sick. with a with a guy right at the other end of the film f- filming. It was pretty epic. Of course, it's nothing like it is in the films because uh, it took about five seconds before uh, everyone was sort of charging into each other and no horses left, right and centre. Yeah, absolute carnage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was, um, you know, I was watching uh, a, a clip from the uh, the War and Peace movie the other day, the Battle of Borodino. Um, and they like... There's just because that they use real extras for that, and there's just the horses are just fucking going, you know, they're just going everywhere and stuff. But I do, there, there is something about it. I wrote, got to plug on my own books here. I wrote a scene for um, my book Traitor, which will be out in July. I wrote a scene for that the other day, and it is the coolest scene in the book. And I hate to say it, it's a cavalry charge. Um, and the like my favorite, the, my favorite scene in Lord of the Rings is when the riders of Rohan come up on the top of the ridge. And then they come down the ridge. That bit's fucking. That bit's that that bit's epic. Right. Question. Ever seen the movie Twelve Strong? No. So it's about. Apparently, it's based on a true story about a bunch of Green Berets that were some of the first to go into Afghanistan in two thousand one, um, and they got got hold of some like local horses. And like the movie, I think I saw a clip of the movie where they're leading this like giant cavalry charge with machine guns, which is look ridiculous. But right. they did actually use horses in on the ground. That is fact. Uh, I always wondered why do we not use horses more in Afghanistan? Special forces do. Oh, do they? No, oh, I just just not cool enough to know. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. So uh, there was a period where they did put some special forces guys through the riding course. 
mainly so they knew how to look after the horses rather than ride them but because they were using them more for the weight get mortars and stuff on them yeah so they, they were using them to get into, into inaccessible areas taking loads of, loads of kit with them basically seems like a really great idea um like i know um mm. uh i think it's the mountain warfare center that the yanks have that they do it like because i've seen a bunch of donkeys with 50 cows strapped to them and stuff i'm like well that seems to make a lot of sense you know um yeah yeah and i just i just wondered had there ever been like a because i mean if i if i'm the ceo of the household cavalry i am going to be petitioning my ass off to get a squadron of horses out in there so that we can ride around afghanistan doing a mog but instead of doing it in wimics doing it with with horses was that, so did that ever happen to your knowledge uh i do i do know of some photos and footage of household cavalrymen on afghan horses in afghan that they had um borrowed <laughs> and given back i might add um, but 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 at no point did a CA petition to go mounted again out there. I said so so in in the Boer War, uh, which again obviously was was just before the age of mechanisation when horses were a thing of the past in in battle, the the, the Hassel Cavalry shipped out thousands of horses, um, you know, with, with the regiment out there, um, and every single one of them apart from one of them died. What on the trip on, on or on the on the campaign? Uh, on the trip, in the campaign, or on the way back, only one horse came back, and his name was Freddy. Um, and he was introduced to um, Princess Alexandra, who said, why has this horse not got a medal? All the men have got medals. Why has this horse not got a medal? So he is the only horse in the House of Cavalry that was, was awarded a, a medal, to my knowledge. And he actually wasn't just one medal. He had, a, he had the medal with all the clasps of, of the campaigns that he'd served in in South Africa. Um, and he lived to a grand old age, was buried. Um, when he died, he was buried uh, under the current parade ground in Compliment Barracks in Windsor um, and, a, and a tree was planted above him. Guess what tree it was? Horse chestnut. You put me on the spot there, mate. Do I look like Alan Titchmarsh? I don't know. Right, so let's talk about Afghanistan a bit more then because you went out there yourself, you busted your cherry. What was your, um, what was your role at the time? I was a troop leader. Uh, I had a massive troop um, in C. So troop is like a, a platoon, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, not as many men though. So I had, well, I had, I had, a, had f- about four vehicles uh, and about 15 blokes. Right. Uh, and I mean, all the places that I'll name you, you'll recognize. So we started off in Fob Edinburgh. We were in Himalo P for about a month. We were working out the DC doing. I go, okay, tell, okay, let's, let's, let's tell people what Himalo P is. Cause that's a, that's a beautiful part of the world. Tell people, tell people a bit more about it. Yeah. I mean, it's just a Himalo P was a ridge. With a ISO container, a, a, a wooden portaloo, and a couple of sangers on top of the on top of the ridge, and then a, a few dugouts that the Gurkhas had dug, all of which had camel spiders and scorpions in, and I think we even had a what's what was that horrible snake out there? Alabama black snake, really dangerous one. No idea. <laughs> it was it's like a copperhead or something, it was something really nasty. Um, you know, no, no <laughs> antidote or something, but um. It was, it, was, it was basically the, the arse end of nowhere. It was in between uh, the forward operating base Edinburgh, which was the big supply depot for for the Musicala area, and the, the district centre, which is where the headquarters and all the manoeuvre troops were. And what we were trying to do up on that OP was keep the route open, uh, so stop people from laying IEDs on the route because it, it had to be open so supplies could keep coming forward, troops could keep coming forward. Um, and yeah, during, well, we, it was it was a pretty sort of lonely. It was quite nice actually because at the beginning of the tour, it, I didn't know my troop that well because I'd sort of taken them on just before we deployed. Um, so it was a really good opportunity for me to get to know the lads. Um, and we were basically just there 
our vehicles were parked up not being used um and we were just sort of in there just playing cards watching our arcs doing stag um and every now and again uh trying to brass up people laying ids on on the route um not not particularly eventful but um yeah nice nice soft introduction to the tour yeah that's where i got blown up on that on that route just under himlop yeah um and then um, <laughs> knocked myself out there late in the tour. I, we went there on resupply, and I walked up to the top to take a look. And then when I was walking the sand, I wasn't paying attention. Hit my head on the crossbeam, and knocked myself on. <laughs> knocked myself <laughs> out. So it's not a, not a favorite part of the world for me. So wh- wh- when you were when you went out to Afghanistan, then were you obviously? I'm I'm going to I'm going to take a, a stab in the dark and say that you were excited to to get out there. But what was the you know going out there with a the troop? It's got. Um, You've got different responsibilities than you know, a lot, like the, a junior soldier going on tour. So how 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 was how was that? Because you know you went out at time was it back end of two thousand nine? Yeah. So you went out at time when after knowing you were you know probably not going to come back with you know unfortunately not everyone's probably going to come back. You know what was that like? It was a weird one. I mean, in my pre deployment training, I'd be moved around a lot because uh, it w- it was it was only late in the day that it was decided what our squadron was going to be used for. Um, so at one point I was going to Herat in the sort of um, far west of Afghanistan to sort of train up Afghan army people there and then um, yeah switched over to being massive group and then got given my troop got sent out I didn't have much time to think about it but what I did sort of the one sort of sobering moment for me I guess was I remember being in London with my girlfriend now wife and I got a phone call from one of the other guys saying uh Nick, one of one of the one of the um, one of our mates from from my troop leaders course, so my phase two training course, had been um, hit in Risakala. So in, actually, he was he was in Minden, uh, and basically an air um, an RPG airburst had had fragged him, and shrapnel had gone through his throat, and cut some of the main arteries in his shoulder, and uh, he'd been he'd been hospitalised, sent back. Um, and so that was the first kind of wake up call for us, where someone that we knew really well had you know he was the first of our course to be sent out to afghan and he'd already been hit um and i just thought right this is pretty serious isn't it uh and not only was it you know a close mate but it was also the place that we were going to go to as well so we knew it was going to be pretty tasty potentially where we were going um but at the same time we were young and dumb and we thought that we were invincible and we thought it was a boy's own adventure and yeah of course we were gagging to get out there and it was to a certain degree a boys on adventure. Yeah. Well, what what was what was some of the like because I I always you know at the end of the day did enjoy it didn't we really a lot of it. So what was what was some of the favourite parts of the tour? Um, there were some big battle group moves that I my troop ended up leading, but were were bloody hard work. You know, sort of thing where the orders are given on the back of a fag packet, and then you're out the gate, uh, and everything that can go wrong will go wrong. You know, with vehicles behind you in the packet getting blown up and having to you know, barmer your way, metal detector way through uh, a, a Cariz line, you know, one of those well lines where there's very little room between the wells before your mastiff's going into one uh, at night, uh, which has suddenly fallen rapidly because it's Afghan, it, it falls so quickly. So getting through that, getting through the other side, uh, and then, you know, getting the whole battle group to the start line to then sort of launch a, an armoured um, attack or assault into into this sort of enemy territory. Um and then getting back from it and then getting back from it and realizing in my early twenties, I've managed to do that. It's, it's quite, a, it's quite a, a nice feeling and it's quite a, it's, it, it puts things into perspective. Um, I think for me getting, getting back to the UK as well, it was like, 
I mean, you remember it. We all felt like celebrities, didn't we? So get we 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 got we. You feel you like, feel like every time, time I got very big. E- I got a very big ego. <laughs> well, where you where you live in the arse end of the principality? I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> but you know, get, we all got back, and 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 there was that kind of that sense of uh, uh, of all your friends have been have been hanging. They hang on your every word. You, you know, you've you, they've all been mm. writing to you while you've been out there. You've done something that no one in your peer group has has done because we, again, we were all in our very early twenties at this point, um, and you've also made a bond with your with, with your blokes that that's going to last a lifetime as well. Um, so that I think probably getting back was one of the one of the one of the best moments. I do think you're right though. Um, I can distinctly remember there was a difference in that period when you'd be in uniform in a shop or a service station or something, and you could feel. The look, like, because you know, I started wearing uniform in two thousand. You, 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 you've always get a few people looking, but really not that bothered. But around that time, people were, mm-hmm. everyone was looking at you. You know, especially because it was desert camo then, not yeah. MTP. Yeah, yeah. Um, did we? Did Did you ever do any ops for my company? Um, no. One of the other troop leaders, one of my great mates, he he was working with you guys. I think a bit more. I mean, I do also remember you guys had a couple of fatalities before we even got out there. I remember like we were sort of at Bryce or something and we'd heard of one of them. Um, so, I mean, that again was also a sobering thought because you guys did have a quite a tough time of it down there, I believe. Yeah. I mean, um, it, I think there was, it was periods, I think at the beginning of the tour. Yes. But then I think we had, so we didn't, I, we didn't have enough people. Uh, and then that meant that ops were very limited and then things got kind of stagnant. Um, and I think that's, and then when we did do ops, it was then usually with the, you know, the, the household cavalry because it was, it was weird. It's because when I think, but I, I forget this sometimes that we had household cavalry guys lent to us for our platoons to like, mm. because, you know, you'd be, you'd, we were spread out in so many places. We didn't have any enough people. So it'd be like, right, here's these three guys. Who the fuck are these guys? Oh, these that come from the household cavalry. Like, oh, hello. And then the next thing you know, <laughs> Um, next thing you know, you're barmering a wadi together, and I always thought that I was I, I was actually talking about this on on the podcast yesterday that I did with Dave. That it's so funny that there's these moments on a tour where you know you might be on an op, and there's some an engineer team with you, and you go through all this stuff together. You might go through some contacts with each other, and then they're like, "All right, that we're off." You never see them again, and you've probably just gone through more. With those total strangers there, who you had maybe a fag with and a bottle of water with, I never see again. Um, and then, but then sometimes now, and one of the great things about social media is that sometimes those people will surface then and be like, "Oh, is this such and such?" Yeah, we were on this with you, and I think that's been one of the like, you know, I mean, well, this is probably a good time to segue into the um, the Legion stuff because one thing that we have now that's never been a tool that any other generation of veterans has had is social media. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what's your, what's your, what's your thoughts on social media then and how it, how can it be used for, let's call it a force for good? I, I'm, I'm a member of a lot of the kind of household cavalry, Facebook kind of community groups and stuff. And they're, they're, it's nice actually. It's, it tends not to be the younger generation that are, that are getting involved in it. Um, but it's really nice to see that kind of Northern Ireland, some literally Falklands veterans as well, sort of, you know, chewing the fat and still taking the piss out of each other the same way they would have done 20, 30 years ago. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I keep in touch with, with my group, but it tends to be on WhatsApp, um, you know, to, to keep in touch with the lads. Uh, and we do meet up every now and again. I actually, when we got back from Afghan, I took my Barma team to Spain surfing. 
what a bunch of reprobates they were. <laughs> you were like, um, oh God, why did you all have to live? <laughs> <It's> yeah, no. <laughs> poor humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> feel sorry for the residents of Santander, mm. Spain. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, social media is an interesting one. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's it has its blessings and curses, doesn't it? And I think you you talk about mental health a lot as well on the pod and. I think there's a there's a time and a place, and I think you just need to be careful with social media because uh, it's very easy to be drawn into the trolls, and uh, it's it's very easy to get your emotions running high because of something that someone has fired off on a keyboard on the other other side of the world. Um, but at the same time, I, I get what you're saying. It's a it's a really good way to connect to people that you have a have a have shared experience with especially in the veteran community and i think maybe there's something to be done with that in the future i mean we wouldn't have that we wouldn't have our connection without social media and we wouldn't have the podcast without social media um at the same time i mean i wanted to punch someone's face in this morning on social media just because they were a fucking idiot but they (laughs) but um it yeah it's it it is a a, a double-edged sword um talking to trolls i think this might be a good time to address the rbl rebrand right because I know, I know this is something you've been through recently. I think, I think it's fair enough. Whenever a big organization spends, um, well, one, okay, I'm going to just say this for a fact. The amount of money people think is a lot of money. I'm going to say this. I'm not being paid by the Legion to say this. It's not a lot of money. I'm sorry. £100,000 is not a lot of money. I know it sounds like a lot of money if you earn £30,000. And I'm not saying I earn £100,000 because I don't. But the fact is, in the scheme of the world, it's not that much money, especially when you're paying VAT and everything like that on top of it. So I think straight away when you're a big organization and you spend money, people are like, oh, my God, that's terrible because they're comparing it to their fucking Tesco bill. Like, no shit. No, but it's true. It's like, it's like yeah, no shit, it seems a lot compared to your household outgoings. This is a national organisation. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I do think, at the same time, I think transparency is very important. Um, and I al- but I also think as well, you know, people... <laughs> I, I mean, I, well, I'm basically giving the defence for this myself here. I, I think there's this thing of, you know, people see charities raising money... I'm like, yeah, okay, they're raising money. Why do you think they're raising that money? Then to spend it. And then people seem to get mad when the charity then actually spends the money, which is, you know, what it's kind of, which is what it's there for in the first place. I can, I can, I can understand why people would, you know, it's a, it, it is a, it is a simple thought to go, the money that we give to the poppy should be spent on serving people, veterans and their families. Yes, mm-hmm. it should. But in order to raise that money in the first place, you need to be competitive in the charity sector and the charity space. You need to be able to raise awareness of who you are, what you do and what you stand for. And the the, the problem with so the thing with the rebrand is the Royal British Legion that we all know and love. And you've mentioned it before. It was a bit sort of tired and old. It had a logo that was uh, uh, invented in the early 90s when the Spice Girls were still young and perky when uh digital media wasn't even a thing um and it wasn't designed for 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 online you know an online use really so the fact that we've got away with using it for you know 30 odd years is is a pretty testament to the fact that the rbl is using the money in the right the right way um the reason they did the rebrand this year is because it's our centenary so you know happy birthday us why not give ourselves a bit of a facelift so that we can compete with the donkey sanctuary and you know, um, animal charities and stuff. You know, this is the, the reason that they've spent, as you said, £100,000, which isn't a huge amount in, in the scale of things, when they spend that and more every single week on on um, on welfare. 
um, is so that people spend their money, their fundraising money, their, their charity money on veterans, wounded, homeless veterans, families that need support, people that can't access their pensions instead of giving it to some donkeys that shouldn't have been bred in the first place. Yeah. The, Not that I've got anything against donkeys. You know I'm a donkey yeah. walloper. My, uh, the donkey sanctuary is what I call my underpants, by the way. <laughs> uh, Eeyore. Um, yeah, so look, like one of the things, and, and I'll say this from, you know, like I've, I think I've done pretty well on social media, not as well as some, better than others, and I've learned a few things from it, and one of them is how important that logo in that little spec on Instagram and stuff, how important that little logo is. It doesn't seem like a, a, a hard thing to figure out, but it, it really kind of is. I spend a lot, or I have spent a lot of money testing different things out myself, so I can... You know, I can I, I can see where it comes from. Um, I think one of the guys, like one of the things I heard is a gripe, and I think that there's some like some not necessarily legitimacy to this, but maybe like a good thing for people to consider is that um, I think one of the things I was hearing from people is that they like they'd liked it to have been like a a veteran tendered kind of contract, if you know what I mean. Is that something you kind of heard? Um, yeah, yeah, and I can I can see I can see why. Um, I suppose. Economies of scale dictate that the best and most economical way to do this and get the best value for the people that support the appeal is to do it is is to is to make sure that the best person um, with the most experience with with the best background is the one that's designing it for us. Um, and I think where we could, if you know, if there was a veteran uh, in the tendering process, then absolutely, I think they they probably would have considered them it wouldn't necessarily mean that they would have won it. And I, I've just been reading a bit of history actually recently. So um, in the 1920s, when all of the guys are coming back from the first world war, uh, they had, there were massive issues with homeless, homelessness, with disability, without, with um, employability. The Legion went around basically building villages where um, all the houses were designed for disabled people. So a lot of loos were downstairs and stuff. I mean, this is sort of, you know, Headley Court, Plus a plus a hundred, you know, across the country, they 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 were setting up tuberculosis wards and stuff because that was such a so rife after the after life in the trenches and stuff. And what they did then was um, they also set up uh, veteran enterprise. So they made sure that veterans were getting into business, setting up building and 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 fitting and um, uh, uh, carpentry businesses and all that sort of stuff. And they would make sure that those any veteran that applied for the jobs of of building these villages. Um, had basically first dibs on, on the on the tendering process so it's definitely in the dna of the organization to do that and i think that would have been the case but unfortunately uh, and i knew i know this as someone who's a veteran who's gone into the creative uh the, the sort of creative industries there aren't that many of us in in, in creative no. um so so it's quite hard to find someone that's you know a find someone but b find someone that's good enough to do the yeah, job uh, and i'll back that up uh just because you're a veteran and you've used Photoshop for three weeks doesn't mean you should get the fucking contract at the end of the day. Like, I believe in meritocracy. And the, the fact you're a veteran might make you better. You might have some great ideas based on it and you might have other intangible skills from it, but you shouldn't get a contract just because you're a veteran. It's fucking ridiculous, you know. But we do, where, where, where possible, we definitely do try and support veterans. So, so one of our best videographers, a lot of the videos that come out of the Legion, um, are created by uh, a guy who who cut his teeth as a as a combat camera team leader in Afghan on my second tour in Herrick 18. Um, he he went off and then started filming uh, foreign fighters, European fighters fighting with the Peshmerga Sweet. in Iraq and Syria. He got the first the first documentary that he made got long listed for a BAFTA. I mean, he's a really talented guy, and he you know he's a veteran. He knows veterans. He knows how to interview them because he's lived the experience that they have. Um, and and he's a prime example of where we where we can support veterans. We absolutely will. 
What is the main effort of the of the Legion then? Because I mean, I really should have put this at the beginning. So sorry, anybody listening, but I'm assuming by now people will have a good idea of, of what the Legion is. But what is actually when you go into work and when everyone else is coming into work in the Legion? What is the main the thrust of the organization? Well, basically, the the Legion's uh, the Legion's mission set up back in 1921 by Earl Haig is the same as it is today, which is to make sure that anyone that serves is get is afforded the dignity um is recognized for their service afforded the dignity and given the best possible then um best possible support that they can after service um we do support serving people as well and their families but but the main the main work of the legion is basically for the ex-serving community and their families so if you are a veteran and you can't access your pension if you're having any issues with the council if you um, are, are finding it hard to um, access any um, benefits that you're you think you're entitled to all of that stuff is is bread and butter for, for the legion um, but then of, of course we've got other projects as well so um, the new the new headley court stanford hall the, the dmrc we've funded that uh, funded part funded that so that the, the rbl um complex trauma gym is the sort of biggest part of that building and, and we're very proud to have sort of um, put our name on that um, during the period of Afghan and, and Iraq, and this is something I learned when I started working at the Legion, I had no no idea of this when I was serving. During Afghan and Iraq, when um, every other day, you know, we were seeing people get blown up, you know, triple amputees, life-changing injuries, the Legion saw that there was an absolute critical problem here. So they funded uh, the RBL Centre for Blast Injury Studies at Imperial College in London, which went on to do incredible work um, to help um, both prevent those life-changing injuries in the first place by looking at shapes of vehicles, like looking at um, Kevlar nappies and all that sort of stuff that we used to have to wear on on, on patrol, uh, but also looking at how um, veterans are treated at the aftercare, you know, especially amputees, looking at stump st- skin care and stuff like that. How, because we, you know, there's no proper science on how these guys and girls live long fulfilled lives as normal as possible well after their injury so there are you know isn't it encouraging to know that there's a load of scientists in imperial college that uh, uh, that were funded by the legion um that that were working on that i mean the, the legion doesn't fund that anymore because you know we're not in iraq and afghan anymore we're not getting guys um suffering those kind of injuries on a daily basis anymore so the money has to go where the need is um so they're looking at things like social isolation now uh, which is a huge problem in, in the community. They're looking at campaigning as well. So a lot of the campaigning work that the Legion does is um, is actually nation-changing. So back in, I think it's 1954, um, they campaigned for the um, Disability Employment Act, which went on to basically mould how disabled people are, are treated in the workforce. And that's not just veterans, that's everyone right. um, because of the Legion. But now they're campaigning for, um, to, for the government to waive the... Um, service charge that's basically um, levied against anyone that's from the foreign or commonwealth that wants to stay after service. And I don't know if you guys you know about this, Gaz, but right, yeah. Can you tell 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 us more about that? Because this is something that I have been meaning. This has been on the ransom bans agenda for a while. But let's get into you. You can get into it, and I'll not rant about it. You just so I, I mean, I had two Fijian guys and a Nigerian in my in my troop in Afghan who who I hope have not had to go through this process. But essentially, if you serve uh, in the British Armed Forces, and you, but you're not a British citizen, so you come from from one of the foreign or Commonwealth countries that, that our, our armed forces recruit from. Then, if you want to remain in the country after service as a British citizen, you end up filling in a load of forms, you send them away, and for a fact, so say a family of four, typical family of four, but most families are larger. Typical family of four, you have to pay a charge of about ten thousand pounds. 
if you get anything wrong on those forms so say for example you know how we write we write day month year but in a lot of these countries it's month day year isn't it yeah. the american way so if you were to write that on your form and you submit it you don't get your money back and it doesn't that's you don't fucking disgusting that is disgusting it, it is criminal after the service that they do and, and then the number of issues as well in service um for people especially if they're based in germany to be able to travel back to the uk or go to the see their family or whatever is absolutely criminal um so the legion is fighting really hard to to and having some success in, in making that in making that change we're gonna move swiftly on from that because my fucking lid is simmering uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck is so pissed off um so one of the things oh this, is, this isn't going to help pandemic um what is the legion yeah. expecting to um have you have you guys kind of been um because obviously like you know luckily we've had some furlough and stuff going in the country but i am you know, a lot of people, economists are saying that there's, this is going to hit biz, businesses is going to be hit very hard when the furlough scheme ends, uh, unemployment's going to go up, all that kind of stuff. Is that something that the Legion have been um, kind of prepping for battle for? Yeah, we're pretty worried about it. Um, I think in terms of, uh, so basically, the veterans that we saw, the veterans that the Legion used to deal with after the First and Second World War, it was quite a simple thing of employment, housing or disability. That was, they were simple they, they manifested as fairly simple problems just because the world was a bit simpler then. The kind of needs that we have to answer these days are incredibly complex. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all by any stretch of the imagination. And often we have to work together with all other partners. So so when you when you give your money to the Legion at Poppy Appeal, I think it's a really important point and, I, and one that I believe really strongly in. That money, yes, is being collected by the Legion, but often it will go to benefit ABF, the soldiers' charity, or go to you know helping SAFA with some of their cases, or help help for heroes with some of their their recovery centres. So basically, all ships rise in a high tide. The poppy appeal money, you know, we all work together on these cases. Whatever, you know, if someone comes to us in need, it doesn't matter who helps them; it matters that they get the help. So a lot of a lot of what what, what the Legion will be working on now is making sure that we and all of our partners are best equipped and ready to deal with the problems that are going to arise and work out what those problems are going to be before they happen. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, a lot of that is going to be social isolation. Right. A lot so of what do you mean by that, mate? So it's people that are cut off, um, you know, remembering that our veteran population is an aging one. So you're thinking, you know, Second World War, Korea, National Service veterans, a lot of these guys who um, are living alone, uh, and don't have access to certain things or they don't have the technology to access certain things it's helping them navigate society helping them get to uh, uh, the medical help that they need it's helping carers as well who uh, uh, you know in, in lower economic um, sort of households that um, are being affected by by the pandemic as well but also you know they're caring for people as well so it's 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 how how do we help them how do we support them in these in these times so it's not what we would call sexy stuff this is not you know getting prosthetics for people that have lost their limbs um uh, it's not the stuff that's going to be on the front page of the sun in terms of you know get, you know help our heroes all this sort of stuff this is every day changing people's lives in small complicated ways that the legion is basically just carrying on beavering away beavering away doing and that is that is the the really really important work that has to happen in order for our our veteran population to be able to live the dignified lives that they deserve having served their country i'm sure there's um a huge different range of ways people can get like that they can um get uh, support the legion be that raising money or like you said carers that kind of work where should people go or where should people look to for um for opportunities if they want to get involved um like we'll we'll talk about if they want to get 
help from the Legion. But first of all, let's talk about if they want to help the Legion. Well, the first thing I would suggest to everyone is follow us on social media. So get get on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and follow the Legion because you'll see the stuff that, that, that that's coming up. You'll you'll know what we're talking about and you'll know the campaigns that we're that we're pushing. So you can help put your name to some of those petitions and things. Um, and then in terms of um, getting involved in what we're up to, then just head over to the website. So it's rbl.org.uk. Um, and there, you know, for this year, it's the centenary. So go to the centenary hub, have a look at what's going on. Um, this, you know, this year, we're basically encouraging people in a post COVID world or semi post COVID world to come together and celebrate the fact that this amazing charity um, and this amazing group of like veterans and, and, and supporters have been doing incredible country nation changing work for 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 a, for a whole 100 years um so we're asking people to kind of come together celebrate that and if if you want to raise some money for us then brilliant otherwise keep your powder dry for poppy appeal and then raise as much as you can because by god we're going to need it um we think there's going to be a lot of cases on the horizon and, and and as i said the money that that is raised at poppy appeal isn't just for specific legion work it, you know all ships rise rising the high tide it will help the entire armed forces community yeah, we need that money for the fucking podcast. So get <laughs> pull your, pull your fingers out, everyone, and go and raise some fucking money. Start selling your bums, right? How how about then? Um, how how about people that are people that are like, look, let's say, is there a one stop shop? Do you go to the same place if you are struggling financially or to start a business? Do you do you go to the same places if you're struggling mentally? Is there a one stop shop for the British Legion that people should go to? If they look for looking for help, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, imagine that most of your listeners are sort of digital savvy. So just again, head to head to rbl.org.uk, and it's pretty it's pretty plain and clear on the on the front page of the of the homepage where to go. Um, we do have a contact centre that's that's being manned most of the time. So just just um, head to them, and they will basically, uh, to use a military first aid term, they'll triage you, um, and they'll make sure that you get sent to the to the right place and handled you know and 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 wrapped up in the arms of the legion as much as possible and sort of taken through you on that journey um as much as possible failing that if you if you're also sort of you know scratching your skull about where to go then um the, the legion also runs veterans gateway which is exactly that it's it's a portal for anyone that needs help um who, who's a member of the armed forces community go to veterans gateway again it's a contact center give them a ring or, or go on and use the chat bots or, or go on and, and just um, speak to them online. Uh, and they will, they will make sure that you're basically sort of given the options of, because of, of, this is the other thing about the armed force community. We love creating charities. We love these enterprises. We love helping each other. So there are about 1,200 service charities out there all trying to do great work. And so veterans gateway allows uh, the the person in need to kind of get the help they need as quickly as possible. What if someone has a family member that needs help that doesn't necessarily want to go and get it themselves, or is not you know is is not doing the work of getting themselves? Let's say someone's got a dad who was uh, who's struggling. You know, is there somewhere where they can go and and initiate contact? Is that the same? Can they go to the same thing? So it's the same route, absolutely the same route. So the so the legion, um, you know, within our within our um, our remit is the families of of veterans and serving. So it's the same route. Go go to um, go, come to the legion. We will help, however we how you know however we can. And if we can't, we'll find someone that can. Nice one, right, mate? Before we let you go, I just want to know what for agro makes for a perfect day. Oh right, great, great question. Uh, so. I run along the cliffs at home in Cornwall, listening to Veteran State of Mind in my Veteran State of Mind t-shirt. <laughs> no, you're listening to the Paul Dark theme <laughs> yeah. the song, dressed as Paul Dark. Bare, we bare know chested. you uh, yeah. And then uh, 
quick breakfast down to the beach for a surf uh probably probably up onto the moor to a to a old neolithic uh circle for a picnic or, or a barbecue swim in the river uh finish with uh probably finish with a, a rum in my tea on the cliff watching the dolphins nice as in the american football team <laughs> so so I think it's fair to say then let's unpack that a little bit. Almost everything you said there is outdoorsy and physical. Is that key to your life? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Same as you. I mean, I I'm I get very grumpy if I'm not if I'm cooped up inside. <laughs> um and I think, you know, I've got two young boys aged 4 and 1 and basically they are puppies. So it's, you've got to be outside. <laughs> Speaking puppies. Yeah, you've got to be outside with them. Um I'm I'm diabetic as well. I was diagnosed uh, with type 1 diabetes. Um, only about a month, two months after I was discharged from the army, which is a pain because I would have got a medical discharge otherwise. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I, I have to run basically for my for my physical and mental health every day. I, I try and do right. some exercise. Yeah. Um, and then and then getting outside and, and visiting old stuff and jumping into water is my is my passion. <laughs> yeah, you are a bit of a fish. Right, last one, mate. What is next on the uh, major history circuit? Ah, oh, good point. You got. Got any got any projects coming up on there? Any any seminars? Yeah, I do actually. I Sweet. do. So um, I am I'm I'm doing a bit of work with um, something called the Battle Guide Virtual Tours Project. Who are it's a, it's a guy who's called Dan Hill. Follow him; he's brilliant. In fact, you should get him on. Um, he is a he's a he's a he's a military tour guide. Um, he specializes in specializes in the First World War, and, and obviously he normally takes people around the, the Somme and all that sort of stuff and through the, the old remains of trenches and whatnot. But when lockdown came in last year, he's, he didn't sit idle and he started planning and working out how to give the most amazing battlefield tour experience virtually. Uh, and he's managed to do it because he's, he's got a load of computer geek friends uh-huh. and they've pulled this thing together. And I gave a, I gave a tour as a guide to for, for Waterloo actually a few weeks ago. And, um, this summer, I'm going to be doing Badahoff. Nice. So the siege of Badahoff will be my next project. I might have to come along to that, mate, as it was a Royal Welsh, uh, as a Royal Welsh battle honour. Yeah, I'll do a shout out for the Royal Welsh. Yes, give us one. All right, mate. Well, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it, and I again thank you for everything you do, making the podcast possible. And listeners, please go and follow Alex and the Legion because otherwise you're an ungrateful swine essentially <laughs> uh, but yeah cheers for today mate i've really enjoyed it um i will let everyone know where to catch uh catch you in the show notes and all that but i'll catch you soon mate cheers bye perfect thanks so much guys thank you for listening to today's podcast combat fuel zulu alpha straps thanks for sorting us out and alex thanks for coming on the podcast but more than that thank you for being the person that reached out to us and has really allowed this podcast to become what it is what that is, I don't know, but people turn up and listen to it, so I'm assuming it's a good thing. Um, guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, please go and support um, the Royal British Legion. All they ask is that you just go and have a look at their page. Have a look at their page, let people know what they have to offer, know what they have to offer yourselves, and then make use of those services if you need them. Um, you know, that's that's what they're there for. Um, I'll, I've, like I said, um, you know, recently, I really appreciate all you guys listening. It's... Um, been an absolute pleasure to continue to bring you this podcast and have like meeting guys like alex uh talking to you guys on social media it's it's fucking awesome guys I, and i really appreciate it and and you know um I've, i'd like to like last year has been hard on us all and having this podcast and having you guys supporting it has kept my mental health ship 
above water and I and I so I, I want to say a thank you to that. I really do appreciate all of you. Um <laughs> uh, but I'll catch you next time and I love you bye. You told me not to worry and you wouldn't break my heart. You told me you were sorry and yeah, my whole world fell apart. You said it's not my fault and yeah I've never done you wrong. I'm grinding to a halt now I can see you're moving on. I promised I'd get better and I told you things would change. You keep me to the gutter, yeah I'll never be the same. I've got to let you go now live your life and spread your wings and yeah you put on quite a show and pulled the puppet strings and are you sure that you don't want me remember all the pain or maybe you should thank me it's your loss and my gain i'm leaving now forever i won't hang my head in shame but yeah you've taken me for granted and you should feel ashamed you sold a dream to all of us a dream that we'd all die for a reason for us all to live and something we could fight for i might just help a man up to his feet or hold a newborn but no matter what i do my hands remembering my rifle yeah life's hard i know that still wouldn't change shit i wouldn't go back yeah i wouldn't go back feelings i hold back memories fade yeah they go fast yeah they go fast good times to come and go survive the highs and lows just take a step by step i guess yeah i suppose good times to come and go survive the highs and lows